Hello there, my name is Paul Church. Welcome to Talent and Growth, the podcast dedicated to all things talent attraction and talent retention. Um, I'm also the co-founder of the Anemo Group, and today we are joined by Michael Carter, the Talent Acquisition Manager at Warner Brothers Discovery, and we're talking specifically around how to use events for sourcing. Now, running events can be a great way to attract in new talent and get new eyes on your business and your product. Um, if done correctly, and Michael's going to show us how, uh, and he's a great person to to have on to talk about this, particularly as he's kindly volunteered the Warner Brothers Discovery uh, offices for our first ever Talent and Growth live event. We've got four amazing speakers. Um, it's going to be all things talent acquisition. Um, please do get in touch if you'd like to attend this event in London on the 19th of October. Um, but apart from that, here's Michael. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Talent and Growth. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Really good, thanks. Really good, thanks. And I think a, a great place to start, as always, would be if you wouldn't mind, just uh, give us a bit of a background into your, your journey and your career. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me and, and asking to do this. It's, um, yeah, really exciting for me. I'm a big consumer. I think I do 90,000 hours a year on Spotify, so it's good to be a contributor for once. Um, but yeah, just as a brief intro, so my name is Michael Carter. Um, I'm based in London. Despite my heavy Australian accent, I've lived here for seven years. Um, I work in talent acquisition at Warner Brothers Discovery, so a recently merged company between Warner Brothers and Discovery. Um, I manage a team of, uh, well, 10 at the moment, um, and that's across tech, product, and gaming uh, for Europe. Um, Previous to that, how I got here is actually a bit of a funny story. I started my career as a plasterer back in the day, worked through to be an electrician, didn't like that, tried my hand at the family business, didn't like that. So I kind of bounced around, didn't do any like structured education after school or anything like that. And fell into recruitment via door-to-door sales, actually. So did that for about two and a half years, uh, which was my probably my favorite job, to be honest. Some people will probably be shocked to hear that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I did that for a fair few years and then kind of just came into recruitment through the sales avenue, I suppose, um, and I've loved every minute of it since. So yeah, here I am at Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, yeah, loving the ride that that is at the moment. And um, yeah, excited to see what this company is going to do over the next few years in, in streaming and entertainment. Tell us what it's like working inside such a huge, recognisable brand like Warner Brothers Discovery. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty strange. Like, you know... You chuck on the TV at night or, you know, you go to stream something on even Netflix at the moment because we're not a launch product here yet, HBO Max. Um, And there's at least a 50% chance that the content you're watching comes from within the building that you work in. So it's pretty wild when you start to, like, map out the company and look at the different areas and the content, like House of the Dragon at the moment, which is obviously out. All your friends and stuff are talking about it and, you know, you have that not inside access. I don't know who makes makes the um, makes the show or the characters or anything like that. But it's um, it's pretty wild to to have that type of exposure and and yeah, just just to be within a company that does such amazing stuff. And um, with big company comes a lot of red tape, and there's definitely a lot of improvement that the company needs to do to make it one unified business, even through this recent merger. 
but that's fun. There's lots of autonomy, lots of growth, lots of trust. And um, I'm very lucky with the people that I work with, both in the States and in Europe, um, that allow me to, to have a bit of fun with it, which is great. Amazing, amazing. Well, uh, yeah, I was uh, very lucky to visit Michael uh, at the Warner Brothers Studios a, a few weeks ago as we were planning a, an event for our Talent and Growth live live show, uh, which Michael and Warner Brothers Discovery have kindly allowed us to host there. And I did, of course, take advantage of um, some of the perks of being in the building, such as sitting in the Iron Throne, uh, which felt very powerful. I enjoyed that. And uh, I am very much enjoying uh, House of the Dragon so far. Have you caught it? Have you been watching it? Yeah, I caught up with um, episode two last night. I was in Norway on the weekend. Uh, where HBO Max was actually live, so I tried to watch it there, but our hike got in the way. So, but yeah, no, it was um, it's pretty hectic, isn't it? <laughs> it is hectic. It is it's uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah. I'm really happy with it. I was a bit worried about a spin-off of Game of Thrones, but yeah, it's really good. But anyway, we're not here to talk Game of Thrones. We'll definitely talk about that for ages. But we're going to talk today uh, talking about events, um, how to use events for sourcing. Um, so, overall, how effective? do you find events are when it comes to attracting new talent to, to your brand, your brand you're working for, Michael? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's very effective, but also to be completely honest, for the talent acquisition team, sourcing, recruiting, whatever partnership you have, or if it's 360, um, it's a really fun way and engaging way for, for your teams as well. Um, and I think there's three main points where its effectiveness can be measured. One is depending on where you host the event and how you host the event, um, you can really bring in a really diverse range of talent, not just from a geography standpoint or a culture perspective, but from a neurodiversity perspective, people working on different products in different pockets of the world with different um, goals in mind. So you can target separate areas and really work across that. And the second point and effectiveness and, and the real fun part is you can A, B test a lot of the stuff that you're doing within um, within the events. So, for example, there's kind of three ways in which you can source of these events. One, you can hire a recruitment event or, sorry, run a recruitment event where the goal is to hire people at the end of it. Two, you can just host a meetup where that gives you your sourcing map after the event. Or three, you attend events and then you try and spread like oil in those and try and network as much as you can. Um, so in the second one, the second point I was making is if you're hiring, if you're doing an event specific to recruitment and hiring, you can A-B test a lot of strategy. You can change things up, try different interview teams, interview panels, test structures. Like it's, it's pretty cool. And then I think a third way is um, if you're trying to scale up a specific team very quickly. So for example, when we've done it before for like video engineers, for example, for the streaming service, um, you need to hire three, four, five people for a quick release. You can do that, you know, in a four-week block very, very fast. So those are the three main effective ways. And when it comes to actually putting it together, how do you, how do you strategize it? Where do you start and where do you, where do you, where do you go? Yeah, good question. Um, it seems a bit insurmountable when you first look at it. I'm sure like even when, you, when we got together and spoke about the event that you want to host, like you kind of think, oh, okay, I need participants, oh, I need speakers, oh, I need logistics, I need food, I need drink, I need to make sure um, you cater to all types of needs. Like ugh, it comes a bit big when you look at it um, initially. But I think the main thing, like any project, you need a goal and a why at the end of it and then you just work backwards. So one example I can use is when I was back at Design about four four years ago now, 
we did an event in, um, in Brazil. And the why of this was we were finding a lot of um, our talent was coming from Brazil through different areas or different markets, through recruitment agencies, etc. So we just thought, well, we're getting a lot of our talent from here. Why don't we just go direct to the source? So our why was not only cut costs, but create a fun event for our Brazilian engineers who could go home, speak about this wonderful project that they're working on and hopefully hire people to relocate. So the why was cost effectiveness, but also employee experience and having fun with who we have. And I think starting at that point, creating your project plan, making sure you really lean on local support and local knowledge as well is really important. Um, but I guess just starting somewhere is having that endpoint in mind. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And what do you find to be the most compelling themes or topics which will draw you the right audience? Yeah, so if you're hiring for a specific skill um, or industry or knowledge base, I think leaning on the people within that team. So going to these engineering teams, for example, um, and I'll keep coming back to this Brazilian example just because it's the easiest. And honestly, it was the first one I ever did. So it might be helpful for people who haven't done this before just to have a bit of a sample size. Um, but we knew, we knew the skills we wanted to hire, which was front-end, back-end JavaScript engineers. So we went to the engineers that we had and said, hey, if you were going to an event, what do you reckon it would be cool to see? And really involving them as much as possible and not working in silos is probably the most important thing I can say is it's not just a recruitment event. It's not just an engineering event. It's really, you know, a dual, um, a dual focus for both groups. And you really have to lean on each other to make it work because, um, you know, we can host a great event, but we don't know what people want to hear. We're not engineers. We need to really lean on the people that do. So I think that's the most important part to start with. Yeah, 100%. I think um, just reminds me of when I, when I set up this podcast series, I think I really recognised that certainly from the beginning, my target audience would be people in talent acquisition, people or HR. And I had assumptions about what people might want to hear about, but I didn't know. So I just I booked in 50 conversations with 50 talent leaders to hear what would you like to talk about? You know, what would you like to hear? And that was just so valuable to data because it took me in completely different directions than I would have thought. So I think... Uh, yeah, use like as with most things, try and use some data to kind of generate what people actually want to hear, isn't it? That's 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 rather than just going by your own assumptions. Definitely, yeah, that's it. And you know, if you're within a company that has a big engineering presence or even a small one, to be honest, like that's such a like resource. I don't like to refer to people as resources, but that is such a valuable thing to have. Like, don't, don't lean into that. Don't ignore it. And a lot of the time people who want to get involved in these events or these type of um, avenues is because they have a true desire for it. They want to speak at them or they just like attending. So you use what they know, I think is the most important thing. And, and just be open, like preconceived notions and preconceived ideas about these events normally are their downfall you really need a, you do need a structure but you also need to be flexible as you go through to change things up like if you're marketing for this event and one of the talks just is getting no traction or people aren't asking questions about it or whatever don't be afraid to drop it or divert it or move it away or, 
or, or really keep remarketing things is important. Yeah, 100%. And how, how can TA teams use events to leverage engagement with potential new candidates? Yeah, so I guess there's a couple ways. One is um, when you're... Mar- so the marketing of the event is purely down to recruitment. So obviously you lean on a comms team and a marketing team and a branding team to create the assets and the content that you're pushing out like you do with any recruitment um, uh, project. But the actual marketing and the gathering of an audience is really done by recruitment. Number one, because we have the LinkedIn licenses, we have the reach. So that's a a predominant reason why you're involved. So, you know, we all do LinkedIn messaging, multi-message threads, you know, the two, three, four, five follow-up, maybe not five, five, but full on, but two, three follow-up. Um, This can really build out a different strategy. So if you have two sources in one region, one sourcer has tapped out, say, front end for Budapest, for example, you can lean on the other's LinkedIn to then send messages to a similar group or similar people about an event for a change. So it gives you a rejuvenated avenue of search and conversation. So you can talk about this event and you can really, you really want to market it as an engineering focused event with a recruitment advantage. And that is the whole point of these things generally. I mean, it just gives you a different discussion point. And more importantly, it gives you something to provide these engineers and these people that you're speaking with. You're not just knocking on the door going, hey, look, come work for us. You're going, hey, this is what we're doing. It's pretty cool. What do you reckon if we have a chat after you've been to the event? And a lot of the time, and a lot of the time, people who are already looking for work will shortcut it and just ask you straight away. But they like having that asset and, and some reflection of what the work is actually like. And the second is with attendees for a generic meetup is the people who attend. Obviously, you can search their companies, where they're from, and that gives you a whole market map. You know, you don't necessarily have to approach those particular people. But it gives you a marker map to see where they've come from, where they've gone, and it gives you a whole matrix of of, um, of sourcing material. So from one person, you can generally source four companies, we've found. So if one person comes to an event, there's four companies that they would have worked on or interacted with that then becomes part of our wider market matrix. So then you can just tap in as you go. Yeah, love that, love that. And what, 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 what input or support do you need from other parts of the business outside of TA and how do you ensure that buy-in holistically? Yeah, so communications and branding and marketing are the three main ones. Obviously, engineering or whatever product group or whatever the event's focused around, you know, as I said before, you're tied into that group, but you're really going to be leaning on marketing for obviously assets and approved copy of, of everything. Um internal comms to spread the word to other people, but also external comms on things like LinkedIn. Again, if, if no matter how big your company is or how small, you might be doing all of this as well. So if you're part of a bigger company, that's the, that's more of this context. Um, and I think just having the, the biggest one is whatever group you're working with, having the buy-in of that leader. So whether it be the VP of engineering or product or, CTO or even just a senior manager or even just a lead engineer, it's having a senior voice that has buy-in with the group that you're working with because, um, 
you know, recruitment can very often be like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with you guys later. You know, I understand you've got a lot of energy. You want to do different stuff. You know, we'll get to that at some point. If you don't have the buy-in from the leader, who's most of the time paying for this, then it's going to be an uphill battle. So you need to present data at the start, talk to them about what the benefits are, what the benefits to them are, and um, really get them on board early early in the piece. Yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. And, and for the build-up of the event, what are, we, what are we doing around marketing to make sure it works? So I think as many assets as you, ha- as you have from previous type of events, or even if you have to buy the images of meetups and, and groups and, you know, um, the type of environment that you're trying to portray or that you're trying to achieve. So... For example, at DAZN, which is a company I worked at before I mentioned earlier, it was an incredible company to work for as an engineer. Um, the, you know, they had a, um, a DevX department, so developer experience. They were very, um, you know, they had four or five people that traveled the world speaking from an evangelism perspective. Evangelism perspective. Um, they were great. They were really tapped into what their engineers wanted, but also the journey, journey, journey journey that onboarded engineers would be going through. So we had an incredible bank of content where we could share with people like, hey, if you come to this event, this is kind of what it's going to look like. These are the type of people that will be speaking. You know, you can look at their uh, medium pages, Stack Overflow, LinkedIn, whatever you want. You can get a really good idea of who's going to be speaking at these events beforehand. So we were quite spoiled with that before. So I think it's important even if your company is 10 people, you have to try and give a um, give the perception of what it's actually like to be a part of that company as soon as possible. And people don't like going to disorganized events and disorganized events can have the 180 effect of what you're trying to achieve. So the more you can set things up and have those things at the start, the better the con- continuity of the whole success of the event is going to be. So I think marketing needs to be needs to be clean and on point, but at the same time, it just needs to make sense. Like, you know, for Design, for example, it was a sports streaming company, but I don't think we ever spoke about sport once. In what we were doing. I don't think I ever wrote this word sport once when I worked at design because that wasn't what we were trying to show people. We were trying to show people what the engineers will be building. And I think having a clear marketing plan around what you're trying to show is very important. And of course, you talked about uh, people want to see a good event. They want to be part of a disorganized event. So how does that perfect event run on a day? And excuse me if I don't take a few notes, so I'm in, so I'm in good form for uh, our own one. How's it, how, how should it look? <laughs> yeah, don't want to shoot us in the foot here. Now everything's going to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think just, just, to, just to asterisk this or precursor it, like generally when you run an event or like you've probably given people advice about podcasts, like people don't know if things run 100% correct. Like yeah. they have no, there's no map that you share with people before being like at 8.05, the doors open now and then 8.10, you should have a drink. And then by 8.20, you should be sat down. Like that type of stuff doesn't matter. The real granular stuff will figure itself out. 
And but I think the way it runs on the day, the, the top tips I can give is more hands are always more hands. More help is always needed, and you can always overstaff an event rather than understaff it. And you know, for example, if you have an event that's upstairs in a building that has a reception, making sure that someone's there at the reception signing them in, but then someone's going to them with lift, showing them up the lift, someone's getting them on the other side of the lift, walking them to the door, so people don't walk up and they're lost and wondering, wondering about you know floors and stuff like that. So things as simple as that is really important, but I think the the main tip I can give is dry running things. Um, all the events I've done have been with engineers who are generally quite meticulous people when it comes to detail and they don't want anything. They don't want any surprises like in TA from what, from what I've experienced in my own personality, chaos is kind of good. We'll figure it out. And if things go wrong, like, ah, it'll it'll be all right. Like, you know, it'll be right attitude. Engineers can catastrophize things pretty quickly. So dry running things as much as possible. So say you're two weeks out from the event, you want to dry run it once, you want to dry run it another week before, and then you want to dry run it within 24 hours. Generally, the first two dry runs feel like a a bit of a waste of time and everything happens in the last one. So give yourself at least 24 hours to like change PowerPoints, find out more information about attendees coming, add QR codes, you know, there's heaps of stuff that happens within that last 24 hours. That's really important. But I think everyone just having the same goal in mind is, is the idea and just not getting worked up if the little things miss because they're going to, it's, you know, you're trying to herd 40 to a hundred people sometimes into a space. Like it's never going to work a hundred percent. And what about the oh so important follow-up? Follow-up is key. How do we make that work? Depends on your tools. So in, in a lot of ways, our job does come down to that. But um, so if you're using Eventbrite, for an example, a little plug for them, but I use Eventbrite. I think it's the better of the tools. Um, just from experience, really, I haven't played around with two others. So that's probably not the most um, uh, founded comment, to be honest. But it's just what I've used and it's really worked is when you have a sign up page, you obviously have first name, last name, you can put in job title, current company, you know, you can edit the filters. And then that just spits out a, an Excel at the end. So that gives you all your people, all your companies, all your emails or contact details or whatever they want to add in. So that gives you your list thereafter. That gives you your messaging, everything like that. Uh, one note I would say on this is when you do the sign-in, make sure the sign-in reflects the sheet so you do know who attends because I have done it before where you've ran an event and then you've messaged everyone and be like, hey, thanks for coming. And you get replies saying, like, I didn't come. What were you talking about? So it already undermines. So make sure that that documentation is really, um, really clean. But the follow-up is pretty simple. Like from a recruitment perspective, by the end of that event, the person already knows if they're keen or not. That follow-up message is really just about giving them the access to have knowledge about what's going on and to have access to you. So as long as it's fast, so it's within 48 hours, it's relevant. It gives them follow-up actions in terms of, so obviously, um, you know, whoever spoke on this topic, you can find their LinkedIn here or you can contact them on their email and then you can give them follow-up resources and then just a short little line at the end, hey, obviously, as you heard, we're recruiting. 
give me a shout if you can. Gotcha. Yep, simple makes sense. And so we've we've we've, we've touched on a lot here. Um, if we put it all together, could you give us a, a I suppose an end to end example of an event you ran and and which you got some good results from? Yeah. So I think I'll use the first the first one I ran, um, which was Brazil twenty. When did my niece get married? Because I couldn't go. Uh, 2019? 2018? And so we did an event in Brazil, uh, in Sao Paulo, where we were hiring for Amsterdam, our Amsterdam Engineering Centre. So this engineering centre at Design went from like zero to 120 people in like eight, eight months. Like it was insane scale and growth. And we were kind of coming to the end of that scale, that initial phase one scale. And um, we were hiring uh, as people, I don't know if people have um, hired much in Amsterdam, but, you know, the, um, the relocation package in immigration law is, is, is super flexible. It's really easy. It's, you know, it's fast to move people over. And we we're finding we we're hiring a lot of talent from all over the world. Anyway, we had a specific group of um, Brazilian engineers who were like, look, I think this would be a good place. We should go to an event, see what we can do. And so my leader at the time, Niamal, um, who was great. He, he taught me so much about this stuff. So big shout out to him. Um, but he kind of just gave me the keys and said, look, Brazil sounds pretty cool. Let's explore this option. So we went through LinkedIn Talent Insights. We built out front end, back end, full stack, different locations because Brazil's a massive country. So I built out different locations. We looked at doing two events over two weekends. And anyway, long story short, we got to this one weekend in Sao Paulo where we would run this event, which was focused around um, a hackathon, a two-day hackathon. And then during that two-day hackathon, you would pull these attendees out for interviews. So over the course of the interview process beforehand, and then on the day, we would hopefully offer five engineers relocation to Amsterdam to move and, and build this new team. So that was really, really cool. Um, I think in terms of statistics and data, because we all love that, um, we had a, a hackathon phase set up and we'd never used hackathon before. And this is what I mean by A-B testing things. Um, we had a hackathon set up where we had a front end, a back end and a full stack test. Engineers could take this test. It took no longer than an hour and it was benchmarked by our internal engineers. So I think the pass rate was about 71 or 72% by memory. We had 254 people take this test, which is like crazy numbers for, for an online test, right? Like engineers don't do that anymore. Um, but when there's relocation and a new life on the other end, you know, people are keen. I've moved for work. So people do do it. It's, it's, it's interesting to see. Um, so we had 254 of that. I think it was about 132. I've got my notes somewhere, but it was like 132 people passed of the 132 with the test and the CV and any other evidence that they gave. I, I personally then spoke to 91. So I did 91 phone screens over the course of like five weeks. So I was doing like eight or nine phone screens a day at one point in Brazilian hours. So that was, that was fun. Um, and then from that, we had the way it whittled down, people pulling out, obviously, because they're moving overseas and all that type of stuff that's always going to happen. We had 25 attendees and then we had 21 attendees show up on the day. And then from that 21, we put them into four hackathon groups. 
And then as the day went on, we or the days went on, we had lots of prizes, um, lots of design themes, themed bits like Chromecast, Apple TVs, all this fun stuff that related to streaming. All the hackathon topics were related to streaming. And so we, and stuff we'd already built, so we couldn't steal their ideas, obviously. So it was very protected from like that type of, that type of um, angle. And then at the end, we offered five people and all five accepted. So um, we relocated them. And then the total cost for hire was about, I think it was like 36K. So it ended up being about 6K each or something like that, um, which for a cost of hire to relocate is is nothing you know in amsterdam we're paying 20k per person for these for these level of engineers so it was cost effective it was really good for employee experience it got us to a b test hack rank and if we're going to use that in the future we really nailed and solidified interview teams how to interview front back end and full stack within the same group as well um, and it scaled this particular team up to release a feature within three or four months so it was really, really interesting. It was a really fun exercise. Yeah, that's a fantastic case study. I mean, that just speaks for itself, the results you got there, and I appreciate you laying it out. Uh, what, what final advice would you give to somebody who's looking to start using events for sourcing? Um, I think the, it's just have fun with it. Like, we all... We all have like ideas and stuff that we want to try and, and, and mingle with and doing it in one project that has like a, that has bookends on either side and a goal. You can really, it sounds quite restrictive, but there's so much freedom within that. And there's so much um, interconnection with the group that you're recruiting for that, you know, you really dig deep into not necessarily the, the skills that the team's using because you can't already know that stuff, but it really gives you an idea of the culture that you're bringing people into. You know, it it, it gives you access to employer branding, to marketing, to comms, to relocation in some examples, to immigration law, to different countries. Like now when I speak to a candidate from Brazil or Taiwan or Budapest, like... I know so much about those countries and relocating people from there is like second nature to me now. So it's, it's really fun. And I think as long as you have the support of the leadership, it can't really go wrong. It's just, um, there's only one instance where, where it's gone wrong. And, um, I'll share this cause it's pretty, it's, it is, it is funny. And I hope, uh, I hope he's listening, <laughs> but basically, we did this event in Taiwan, exact same situation set up, <clears throat> excuse me, at Design. And we had seven interviewers flying out to Taiwan from Amsterdam. And in the weeks leading up, I was like, cool, you know, you've got to check your own visa situation. You know, you've got to make sure everything's okay. Like everything's all set up. You know, we're not going to look after this. You know, you've got to do this. And then you just, you know, obviously expense whatever needs doing. Anyway, all good, all got there. I was leaving from London, so I got there first. And then I get this message on the other end, like this person hasn't done their visa to enter Taiwan. So they've flown all the way from Amsterdam to Taiwan, don't have a visa, had to sit there, try and get the visa sorted, had to fly to um, mainland China, try and sort that out, fly back. So anyway, this, this, uh, this person flew like 25 hours over two days, not even, not even 
not contribute on the day, but contributed so much more before that and really helped with the testing and stuff. So my one bit of advice is even if you think you know something, ask and check it because, um, yeah, it was super sad for this particular person who put in all this work and couldn't go. And um, it's such a, such a simple thing. So just double, triple check, um, have fun with it, enjoy it. And um, at the end of the day, the company will realize it's at least a good bit of employer branding or product. So if, even if you don't make hires out of it, there's so many intangible benefits that you can do for these things. Another great example of why you should never make assumptions. Um, that's uh, absolutely right. Uh, Michael, if anybody else wants to pick your brains about events or anything else at all, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, definitely. So LinkedIn's easy. Um, yeah, I can, I can throw my email on um, on the chain or wherever this gets posted, obviously, on LinkedIn. So I'll, I'll do that. But um, yeah, always up for talking about it, sharing more insights, got heaps of documentation on all of it. Um, luckily, I haven't had to reference it too much darting away from, from the screen. So... That's been good, but um, yeah, just hit me up at any point. I'm always keen to talk about this. Amazing. Michael, thank you so much for being a part of Talent and Growth, and we will see you on the 19th of October at the live event. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Thanks for partnering. It should be fun.